Your health is what you make of it. Everything you do and think either adds to the vitality, energy, and spirit you possess, or takes away from it. Hello and hello and welcome to episode 291 of Under the Cull of MS. Hello and Elpin. As you can see, I'm not all here. I'm just not in a good, happy, healthy mode at the moment. They say take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live. (laughs) But it's hard to take care of your body when you got little shits in your life. So basically what's been going on with me, still in the sugar flush, got one week left, thankfully. I don't think, sugar's not my problem. I actually feel worse on the sugar flush than I did before it. But uh, I don't see no other types of changes, so the next one I might do might be dairy or gluten, or I might do the 30-day whole foods diet, I don't know, I haven't decided yet, let's get through this next week first, then next Wednesday I'll announce what the next plan is, and we are in the beginning of December, so it would take us through the holidays and the new year if I did start it within the next week and a half or so, so we will see. I'll have to decide over the next week what my plan's going to be. But at least I'm on the DDP yoga train again. I'm getting that in at least, I'd say at least five days a week so far, these two weeks. So that's a good thing. But lately, our cat has decided that anywhere between 1.30 and 3.30 in the morning is time to wake up. Which sucks for me because I go to bed around between 10 and 12. And half the time I lay there for an hour or two. And usually I'll just fall asleep and he'll be up knocking shit off the counters, off the shelves, meowing at us. Telling us to wake up. I don't know if it's something with the full moon. Since it is the beginning of a new month. Or what is causing his little shitheaded disc. Sorry I can't stop yawning. It's just. But basically. My new routine the last two days. I have to get up with him at around 4 o'clock anyways. From 4 to 5. Because he can't sleep till 5. So I'll deal with his monotony up until then. Then I'll finally give up and get up around four. Close the basement door so he can't bug Shelly anymore and let her sleep for another hour, hour and a half. While I sit upstairs, falling half asleep. Listening to the cat go from door to door, meowing up and down the stairs, wanting his 
breakfast, but I ain't. I'm not serving them till five o'clock. There's no reason he needs to eat, eat before five. Five a.m. because he gets fed at five p.m. and then he's got his hard food in his dish that he can eat all day and night. But he's got to get up to get that soft food. It. Oh, I mean, I can't blame him too much because I'm still pissed off at our society that we even do the stupid time change. But he was on the five o'clock thing and he was good about it. And then we had to fall back an hour for fall because of the stupid time change. And he's still on the 5 a.m., which is now 4 a.m. So it's kind of hard to blame him for being a jackass when it's not really his fault. It's stupid time change. No, why we have to do that? We're not all farmers anymore. We don't have to deal with all that shit. Just live the world normally. Let let it be dark when it's dark and light when it's light. Who gives a shit what time of day it is? But of course, we gotta follow the stupid rules. And normal animals don't follow those rules because. Society is the same for them every day. It doesn't matter if it's dark or light out. They're going to go search for food when their stomach says it's time to go eat. So, yeah, time change is really stupid. It affects me a lot. I can't wait till spring. So we spring forward and we can get back to 5 a.m. with them and I'll deal with it. But what I'm doing now is I'll sit and try and awaken my body a little bit. Oh, God, I can't stop you. <laughs> it's going to be a sad podcast for a wellness Wednesday one. Uh, but I'll just sit there and try and wake up my body a little bit. And then about 4.30, I'll do my DDP yoga. Get that out of the way while he's going in and out the door outside to go run around in the dark. And by the time I get done with my DDP yoga, it's right around 5 o'clock and then I can feed him and go crawl back in bed. And the past two days, I, I usually get up by 7, 8 o'clock so I can sit with the wife for a little while before she goes to work, but past two mornings I've been staying in bed till 9, 9.30. Just. And with the working out, I get up around 9, 9.30 and my body's all stiff. Because <laughs> I don't have my normal pain patch going into my gums at around 7, 8 in the morning, like I usually do, so, I could actually change that if I have to do this 5 a.m. stuff, maybe I'll start doing my pain patch around 4.30 in the morning, and then I can do the second pain patch around 4.35 in the afternoon, evening, I could adjust a couple things, it might help. With some of the pain issues. Maybe I'll try that starting today. Or tomorrow I should say. Because today I already. 
did my patch at 9.30 in the morning. But, yeah, so that's my new routine going on. And it's just, I just want to get this last week of the sugar flush done. I'd quit if I didn't promote it and didn't get myself set up with others on it. Uh, I would have gave up on it already. <laughs> Because it's just not doing what I want it to do. But it did help get me back to my intermittent fasting. Which I got that down to a four to six hour part of the day where I'll eat. Other than that, it's fasting. Uh, that's working out decent again. I got that back. But with the workout in the morning, I noticed the last two days I get hungrier way earlier in the day. So that's not good. And I gotta sit there and get that worked out and figured out. See what I can do to adapt to that. Maybe I'll change it and instead of stopping eating at 10 p.m., maybe I'll stop at like 7, 8 p.m. or something like that and make my munching time a little bit earlier I don't know I have those late night munchies though when you're sitting up until midnight and I like to have something around by 10 o'clock or so just to tide me over while I'm sitting up but we'll see I will adjust accordingly as I need to uh, other than that yeah the sugar flush is good for getting back into yoga and intermittent fasting. Other than that, I'm, I'll be glad to be done with it. Get back to getting some fruit in my life and some other things I miss out, like my late night piece of dark chocolate. It's like, that's a crucial part of life. Damn it, I haven't been sleeping good. I can't have melatonin because that's got sugar type stuff in it all. All medications do. They got different types of things in them. It's like, what's this melatonin have? Microcrystalline cellulose, which I believe is sugar. Methyl cellulose, which is some type of sugar. Magnesium stearate, stearic acid, silicon dioxide, hypromellose, and glycerin, which is a sugar. I hope it's got melatonin in it. <laughs> no milk, no egg, no fish, no crucian shell, crustian, crustacean, shellfish, tree nuts, peanuts, wheat, soybeans, yeast, artificial colors or flavors, added sugars or preservatives. But yeah, that's, some of those ingredients are sugar-based ingredients, so... But it is nice to know that there's no milk in this, so when I get back, if I do go dairy flush next, at least I can do my melatonin and my dark chocolate stuff, because my dark chocolate's made from cacao, and not from dairy, so I don't have to worry about that. It's just the only thing I'll really be missing out on is cheese. Other than that, oh well, I don't drink regular milk anymore. I use it for baking, but I can do without that. Other than that, we use almond milk. 
So we're good to go on that. But I will just have to see. Maybe on the once I'm done with the sugar flush, get myself one good little half gallon or whatever of eggnog if they have that one eggnog I discovered last year, which was incredibly good. Maybe I'll get one bottle of that, get that into my system, and then do a dairy flush. We'll see. I know, I'm rambling on, but I'm beat and tired. <laughs> I can't, can't get motivated to read a bunch of stuff and talk about it, but I suppose I better. That's what we do. Let's see what kind of articles I came up with. This one has benefits of drinking green tea with lemon. I have almost all my teas are some type of green tea base, green or black tea based. But green tea with lemon juice is a soothing beverage you can enjoy at any time of the day. It's full of flavor, delicious, and easy to prepare. I have tea every day. And I usually put lemon in it, but because of the sugar flush, I backed off on it. Every now and then I'll put a tablespoon or so in there uh, during the sugar flush. But usually I go without. But the taste hasn't been there because I think it's... I think these stupid baclofen pills that I started back up on killed my taste buds. I think that's why I can't drink coffee, and now my tea's getting disturbed. So I'm weaning myself off the baclofen until the spasticity gets really bad because it is winter time, and my spasticity is more amped up in spring and fall. So I think now it might settle down a bit, and I can get away with all my other things, my magnesium, my potassium, my THC, CBD, uh, all kinds of different oils and stuff that I take, the flax seeds and stuff. So hopefully that'll work good enough to get me through the winter and I can see if the baclofen is the one that's killing my taste buds. I know they say once you go off, it takes about 10 days before you'll start to notice again your taste coming back. So... I will try that. Uh, green tea and lemons are high in antioxidants, which can help protect against inflammation and chronic conditions. Studies suggest that drinking green tea may help decrease body weight and body fat. Some animal studies have found that certain compounds in lemons could also help prevent weight gain. And so I use a lot of lemons. I go through probably about a good 10 lemons a month. And of course, a good majority of it's because of when I have my drink, alcoholic drink, it's tequila with lemon. So when I have my drink, a night of drinks, which only happens once a week, usually this time of year, I pick my favorite hockey or football game day and I'll have a few drinks that day or now we got our new patients getting paid group has got in, into a little late night drinking sessions. <laughs> so I know we got our meeting tonight at six o'clock central time. So I know the girls will be having a drink with the meetings. So 
I will have to sit there with my water and suffer, but like I did last time, but <laughs> next time I should be able to join in the festivities at least. But, and tonight would have been a perfect one because not only do we have our patients getting paid meeting right after that Colorado Avalanche hockey game playing and they've been kicking ass. So lost one game last week, but it was only one out of like the last seven that we lost. So that's a good thing, but some studies have linked drinking green tea to lower risks of type two diabetes and insulin resistance. I'd like to get my wife on, on to that and get her off her stupid coffee that's got all the creamers in it. But I don't think that's possible. Studies have found that consuming both green tea and lemons is associated with improved heart rate, heart health and reductions in several risk factors for heart disease. Drinking green tea is linked to a lower risk of dementia, impaired brain function, and Alzheimer's disease. Test tube and animal studies also suggest that compounds found in lemons may improve brain function and protect against Alzheimer's disease. It's like I got mom drinking her green tea, usually at least one to two glasses a day she has this time of year because of the cold winter weather. It's always good. But I usually don't add lemon to hers. I should start adding a little lemon. So lemons are high in vitamin C, which can reduce inflammation and help treat and prevent infections. Certain compounds in green tea, such as EGCG, may improve immune function as well. Green tea contains caffeine. Not all, I might. Most teas that I buy are decaffeinated, so I don't know why they say that. And I'm sure the basis is caffeinated, but you can get green tea that's decaffeinated, which can decrease fatigue, enhance alertness, and improve cognitive and physical functioning. Drinking green tea may be linked to a lower risk of kidney stones. Lemon juice also contains citric acid, which can help prevent kidney stones as well. And that's a huge plus because I don't want to try and pee a kidney stone or rock through my small pee hole. <laughs> it's just not going to go well. I've seen people suffer through that. Some studies suggest that lemons and green tea could reduce the growth and spread of several types of cancer cells. And drinking green tea with lemon can help you stay hydrated, which could help support many aspects of health. And that, see right there, I mean, we've been told many, many, many times, if you drink coffee or tea for every cup you have, you have to drink up to three cups of water to replenish your body's dehydration. So if it's keeping you hydrated, then it obviously doesn't dehydrate you. Green tea with lemon is easy to make at home by brewing green tea and adding freshly squeezed lemon juice. It's not that hard. 
Green tea with lemon may come with several health benefits. In particular, it could promote weight loss, help you stay hydrated, increase your energy levels, and support the health of your brain, heart, and immune system. Best of all, it's also delicious and easy to prepare at home using just a few simple ingredients. Water, tea bag, a little lemon juice. It's all you need. Good to go. Some people like to have a little bit of honey with it also. That can also help out. Let's see. Some supplements that can possibly boost your immune system right now that you can try. Vitamin D, of course, is essential for immune function. Healthy levels of this vitamin may also help lower the risk for respiratory infections. And with MS, many of us are low on vitamin D levels, and we all use, a lot of us use supplements for that. Vitamin D supplements, I'm doing 5,000 IUs a day right now, and I have a 50,000 IU one for times when I think I need it. And then I used to do three to 4,000 back in the day, but now I do the 5,000 single caplet. They got 1,000, I think they got 500 IU, 1,000, 3,000 IU, 5,000 IU, and 50,000 IU. I don't know which other ones you can get, but those are the ones I see a lot of. So, uh, Supplementing with zinc may help protect against respiratory tract infections and reduce the duration of these infections. Vitamin C is vital for immune health. Supplementing with this nutrient may help reduce the duration and severity of upper respiratory tract infections, including the common cold. Taking elderberry supplements may help reduce upper respiratory symptoms caused by viral infections and help alleviate flu flu symptoms. However, elderberry also has risks. More research is needed on it. <clears throat> and here in Wisconsin, you can find elderberry bushes out in the wild. Make elderberry jam and stuff like that. It's really good. But I just haven't been out foraging in quite a few years. So I used to go out mushroom picking and pick certain berries and stuff. Montana, we'd go huckleberry picking. It's... Lots of good things out there. Morale mushroom seasons prime around February, March. It's just elderberries are prime. Usually midsummer. Many types of medicinal mushrooms, including cordyceps and turkey tail, may offer immune enhancing and antibacterial effects. They do have mushroom powders that you can add to your coffees and teas or whatever types of drinks or foods, if you'd like. Uh, Many other types of things you can try are astragalus, which is a herb commonly commonly used. Let me check my timer here. Yeah, I'm all right. Make sure I'm not running out of time. It's, It's commonly used in traditional Chinese medicine and may significantly improve immune-related responses. Selenium is a mineral that's essential for immune health. 
Uh, it may enhance antiviral defense against influenza strains, including H1N1. Garlic has power anti powerful anti-inflammatory and antiviral properties. Uh, Andrographis is a herb that contains andrographolide, a terpenoid compound found to have antiviral effects against respiratory disease causing viruses, including enterovirus D68 and influenza A. Licorice contains many substances, including glycerazine, that may help protect against viral infections. Pelagonium citioides uh, supports the use of this plant's extract for well, human research supported the use of this plant's extract for helping alleviate symptoms of acute viral respiratory infections including the common cold and bronchitis. B-complex vitamins, B vitamins, vitamins including B12 and B6 are important for healthy immune response, yet many adults are deficient in them, which may negatively affect immune health. Curcumin is the main active compound in turmeric. It has power, powerful anti-inflammatory properties. And animal studies indicate that it may help improve immune function. Euchanasia is a genus of genus of plants in the daisy family. I don't know if they meant to say genius, but genus might be something. Certain species have been shown to improve immune health and may have antiviral effects against several rep respiratory ish viruses including respiratory syncytial virus and rhinoviruses propolis is a resin like material that honeybees produce for use as a sealant in hives though it has impressive immune enhancing effects and may have anti enviral properties as well they say more human research is needed my parents sold propolis products for many, many, many years, and there were lots of benefits with their customers with it. Uh, things I've seen most beneficial from them was the, the propolis, the pollen type things, and the shark cartilage were big things that helped out. But basically... There's a variety of things you can try. Keep yourself healthy, especially this time of the year with the flu and cold season. And then we're going to end this here and we'll do one more segment with a few more interesting facts for you, for your health. And won't be too exciting, <laughs> but hopefully you'll learn something. And we'll get back right after this. Okay, let's get into a little bit more. I know some of this stuff you've heard before. I'm just going through my files. And I'm sure I got lots of duplicates because some of these things sound familiar to me that we're talking about. But 
hopefully it's been a while and we're just updating people that are new to the podcast or if you haven't listened to those episodes yet you're getting it's the type of information now bone broth what's so important about bone broth it has become very popular recently especially among health conscious individuals because it's believed to have many health benefits drinking it may be very beneficial and bone broth is made by boiling down animal bones and connective tissues this nutrient dense stock is used for soups sauces and health drinks such as your just like your beef broth your chicken broth you're mainly boiling the bones down and what little meat that's on the bones is what you're doing with those broths too so it's basically you would consider all broths pretty much a bone style broth if you want to make your own start with one gallon of water four liters two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar 30 milliliters two to four pounds about one to two kilograms of animal bones and salt and pepper to taste place it all in a large pot or a slow cooker bring to a boil reduce to simmer and cook 12 to 24 hours the longer it cooks the better it will taste and the more nutritious it will be allow the bone broth to cool strain it into a large container and discard the solids definitely want to strain it so there's no bone fragments or any weird fatty stuff that came off the bones or anything like that so bone broth is made by simmering bones in water and vinegar you can also add other ingredients to create more flavor different seasonings or whatever if you need them or you can just season your stuff later on bone broth is rich in minerals that help build and strengthen your bones it also contains many other healthy nutrients including vitamins, amino acids, and essential fatty acids. The gelatin in bone broth supports healthy digestion. It may be beneficial for individuals with leaky gut, as well as irritable and inflammatory bowel diseases like IBS. The amino acids in bone broth can help fight inflammation because of this. Eating it may help protect against disease. The amino acids in bone broth help support joint health and consuming it may help lessen the symptoms of osteoarthritis. The gelatin in bone broth has been shown to help promote feelings of fullness. Consuming it on a regular basis may reduce calorie intake and lead to weight loss over time. Glycine has been shown to promote sleep. Taking it before bed may help improve quality of sleep, mental function, and memory. They say you can, instead of throwing bones and carcasses from meals in the garbage, save them to make make broth. 
You can collect the bones in a bag and store them in your freezer until you're ready to cook them. However, if you're not someone who typically buys and eats whole chickens and bone-in meat, you may wonder where you can find animal bones. That's easy. Just go to your local butcher, farmer's market, meat department at a grocery store. They'll all have bones. They can help you out. Just talk to them. They'll tell you what to do. Uh, Do your best to find pastured chicken or grass-fed beef bones. Uh, if you live in a state where I live, pretty much our, all our cat, cattle and chickens are grass-fed. We don't do factory farming out here. But some of the stuff that comes to your grocery stores is from those factory farms. Unfortunately, there's no s- straight answer on how often you should drink it, but drinking one cup of it daily is good for maximum health benefits. Uh, They have a tomato sauce recipe here using bone broth, which I think I'll try. It's got two cups of bone broth, two cans organic tomato paste, two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, a half a teaspoon of oregano chopped, half half a teaspoon of basil chopped, two cloves garlic minced, and salt and pepper to taste. Place all ingredients in a medium saucepan. Heat over medium-high heat for four to six minutes, stirring occasionally. Reduce to lower heat and cover, allowing the sauce to simmer for five more minutes. Serve over pasta or meatloaf or included in a variety of recipes. That's a good deal because other than the tomato paste, I could actually do this right now, even during my sugar flush. Because I'm going to make some spaghetti up for the ladies because I got the veggie noodles that I can have over the sugar flush. Now I was going to do that and... uh, Sit there and... Wasn't sure what I'd do if I just put the regular meat on my noodles and just not have any sauce with it. But this would be a good way to have a sauce. So that's a benefit. I like that. But basically bone broth contains many important nutrients, some of which are known to have incredible health benefits. However, the research on both bone broth itself is still emerging. What is known for sure is that bone broth is highly nutritious. And it's possible that adding it to your diet may provide a whole host of health benefits. So yeah, try it out. Make yourself some bone broth. And I'm sure you can buy it in the store also already done. But it's not that hard to make. Let's see, which one's healthier, tuna or salmon? I've noticed lately tuna is almost cheaper than salmon. In a lot of different ways it's packaged depending on how it's packaged fresh or frozen see unlike lean types of white fish that have a light or white color flaky texture and mild flavor both tuna and salmon are dark in color and have a firm texture and stronger flavors 
Tuna is a large muscular fish with flesh that ranges from pink to dark red, depending on the variety. The color comes from myoglobin, an oxygen-storing protein found in muscle. Uh, myoglobin breaks down quickly when heated, thus cooked, and canned tuna looks grayer than raw tuna. Albacore or longfin tuna is a popular tuna variety. It has a lighter colored flesh and milder flavor and is usually grilled or seared, and you can get albacore tuna canned, I see, on the shelves a lot, which is commonly referred to as white tuna. Yellowfin tuna is another common variety. It's smaller in size and a darker red. This variety is often used for sushi, although it can be also be seared or grilled, yellowfin tuna is also known by the Hawaiian name ahi. If you buy canned light tuna, you'll likely get one or a combination of yellowfin and skipjack or tango varieties. Raw tuna steaks or fillets can be used raw in sushi or marinated and seasoned with olive oil, salt, pepper, and or herbs before cooking for extra flavor. It's low in fat, so it's usually cooked to a medium rare 125 degrees Fahrenheit or 52 degrees Celsius to retain moisture. Overcooked tuna can be unpleasantly dry. I don't think I could serve tuna to my wife because she can't stand anything that's not cooked all the way through. Uh, FDA recommends cooking all seafood to an internal temperature of 145 degrees Fahrenheit, 63 degrees Celsius, to prevent foodborne illness. Canned tuna is always thoroughly cooked during processing. It's not a rich, flavorful delicacy like seared tuna, but it's a convenient food to have on hand. For example, it's an easy way to Add protein to salads and popular sandwich filling. Salmon. The flesh of salmon ranges from pink to deep reddish orange. This is a result of its diet, which comprises of krill and tiny crustaceans, which I like using krill oil for my omega-3s. These are rich in colorful carotenoids. Namely, as taxanthin, astaxanthin, I know that's not how you say it. It's heat soluble, heat stable, so unlike tuna, salmon remains red even when cooked. Common varieties of wild salmon include coho, chinook, and sockeye, all of which live in the Pacific Ocean. If you opt for Atlantic salmon instead, it's almost always farm-raised. There are subtle flavor differences between the varieties, but salmon is generally described as more strongly fit, flavored, oily, or fishy than tuna. I mean, I'm basic with my salmon. I'll just cook it with salt, pepper, lemon, and dill. That's all you really need. And then I'll peel the skin off it, flip the skin, and... Cook it a little longer so it crisps up. Eat that 
alongside it or I'll keep that to the side and sprinkle it on salads or something like that. That's where all the really good uh, vitamins and minerals are. Similarly, at least I was told that, and I'm not a doctor, so don't take my word for it. You can enjoy salmon raw in sushi or a Hawaiian poke bowl. Or cook it, if you prefer. When cooked, it's more tender and flakes more easily than tuna. It also contains more fat than tuna, which keeps it moist even after cooking to higher temperatures. Thus, it lends itself to a variety of cooking methods like grilling, roasting, baking, or poaching. Canned salmon is also available. Watch for the ones that have the bones in them still. And they can be a pain in the ass to clean up, but you can get all the little pieces out of there. Like canned tuna. It's convenient and a great addition to salads. You can likewise try combining it with breadcrumbs, spices, and an egg to make a pan-fried salmon patty. Tuna and salmon have reddish flesh and firm texture and much stronger flavors than many other types of fish. Both are commonly used in sushi, but also tasty when cooked. Both Tuna and salmon are extremely nutritious. They're packed with protein and a wide range of vitamins and minerals. Uh, Calorie-wise, wild salmon, eh, I don't know what they're going. They're going off about a three-ounce portion for these numbers, but calorie-wise, wild salmon, coho, it's about 124 Farm-raised Atlantic is about 177. Tuna, yellowfin is about 93. Proteins are pretty much equal across the board. 17 to 18 grams for the salmon, 21 grams for the tuna. Carbs are zero across the board. Fats, 5 grams for wild salmon, 11 grams for farm-raised salmon, less than 1 gram for tuna. Cholesterol, you got 38 milligrams. For wild salmon, 47 for the farm raised, and 13 for tuna. Vitamin D, you got 307 IUs. For wild, 375 for farmed, and then 59 IUs for for the tuna. B12, you got 3.5 MCGs for the wild, 2.7 for the farmed, and 1.8 for the tuna. Niacin, you're looking at 6.1 for the wild, milligrams for the wild, 7.4 for the farmed, 15.7 for the tuna. Selenium, you got 31 MCGs for the wild salmon, 21.4 for the farmed, and 77 for the Tuna, which 77 is 140% of your daily allowances. B6, yeah, 0.5 milligrams for the wild, 0.5 for the farmed, and then 0.8 for the tuna. And the omega-3, you got 1,120 milligrams for the wild, 
2,130 milligrams for the farmed and 91 milligrams for the tuna. Basically, while they're both highly nutritious, salmon comes out ahead due to its healthy omega-3 fats and vitamin D. Meanwhile, tuna is the winner if you're instead looking for more protein and fewer calories per serving. So you just got to take those numbers into consideration and decide which which one you want to add to your body more and which one will help your body more. And then if you're cooking, you're going to want to use, possibly use butter or oil with your foods. So is butter bad for us? It's long been subject of controversy in the world of nutrition. Some say that it cranks up cholesterol levels and clogs your arteries. Others claim that it can be a nutritious and flavorful addition to your diet. A lot of research has been conducted in recent years evaluating the potential health benefits of butter. Uh, Butter is a dairy product made by churning milk, a process separating the solid fats from liquid known as buttermilk. Although butter is also made from the milk of other animals, mammals like sheep, goats, and buffalo. This is going to, they focused on the cow's milk for this thing. Butter is a dairy product traditionally made from cow's milk, though many different varieties are available. It's used in cooking and baking and can be added to many different dishes. For one tablespoon, you're looking at about 102 calories, 11.5 grams fat, vitamin A, 11% of the RDI, vitamin E, 2% of your RDI recommend daily intake, B12, 1%, and vitamin K, 1%. So basically, it's butter is high in calories and fat, but also contains several important nutrients, including vitamins A and E, but not large amounts of them. Butter contains CLA, a type of fat that may have cancer-fighting properties, but helps reduce, help reduce body fat and improve immune function. So now they're saying that butter can help reduce body fat. Butter contains butyrate, a type of fat that may improve digestive health, decrease inflammation, and support weight control during, according to human and animal studies. Which is interesting. You didn't hear that 10 years ago. Butter is high in saturated fat, though saturated fat may not be linked to a higher risk of heart disease. Replacing it with polyunsaturated fat is associated with a lower risk of cardiovascular events. Butter is high in calories, which may contribute to weight gain if eaten in high amounts, which makes sense. Enjoying butter in moderation may be linked to a Lower risk of obesity, diabetes, and heart problems. However, it should be enjoyed along with other healthy fats as part of a nutritious diet. Don't just use butter as your main fat. And then let's look at some essential nutrients 
that our bodies may or may not need and why they may need them. Protein is having its moment and not just in the workout community, but all the hype is for a good reason. Protein is essential for good health. It provides the building blocks of the body and not just for muscle. Every cell from bone to skin to hair contains protein. So you're going to probably want to find a way to get a good amount of protein into your diet. Healthy sources are, while meat, fish, and eggs are good sources of essentially essential amino acids, you can also get protein from plant sources like beans, soy, nut, and some grains. Exactly how much protein you need depends on on a variety of factors, including how active you are and your age. So don't just pound the proteins unless you are active. Don't let the carb craze fool you. Carbohydrates are necessary for a healthy body. Carbs fuel your body, especially your central nervous system and brain, and protect against disease, according to the Mayo Clinic. They should, carbohydrates should make up 45 to 65% of your total daily calories. According to the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, healthy sources. Before you reach for the white bread or pasta, keep in mind that the type of carb you eat matters. Some carbs are healthier than others. Opt for whole grains, beans, and fiber-rich vegetables and fruits instead of refined grains and products with actual added sugar. And then fats often get a bad rap, but recent research has shown that healthy fats are an important part of a healthy diet. The most famous unsaturated fats are omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. Unsaturated fats are important for your body as they provide essential fatty acids your body can't make. You can find these healthy fats in nuts, seeds, fish, and vegetable oils like olive oil, avocado oil, and flaxseed oil. Avoid trans fats and limit your intake of saturated fats, saturated animal-based fats like butter, cheese, red meat, and ice cream. And then vitamins are vital for warding off disease and staying healthy. The body needs these micronutrients to support its functions. There are 13 essential vitamins that the body needs to function properly, including vitamins A, C, <coughs> B6, and D. I'm sure surprised they don't have B12 in there. If you eat a varied, well-balanced diet full of vegetables and fruits, and have a normal and healthy functioning digestive tract, you likely don't need to take vitamin supplements. Sounds like I got animal crawling through something. <laughs> I have an animal in the ceiling. 
Uh, much like vitamins, minerals help support the body. They're essential for many body functions, including building strong bones and teeth, regulating your metabolism, and staying properly hydrated. Some of the most common mineral minerals are calcium, iron, and zinc. In addition to strengthening your bone, calcium helps with nerve signal transmission, maintaining high blood pressure, and muscle contraction and relaxation. Iron supports your red blood cells and hormone creation, while zinc boosts your immune system and wound healing. And it's nice when you get your yearly blood test to just look over your levels, see where you're sitting, and go from there. You can go for weeks without food, but you can't last more than a few days without water. Water is absolutely crucial for every system in your body. It's also the main thing you are made of. About 62% of your body weight is water. Water improves your brain function and mood. It acts as a shock absorber and a lubricant in the body. It's also, it also helps flush out toxins, carry nutrients to cells, hydrate the body, and prevent constipation. Even mild dehydration can make you feel tired and impair your concentration and physical performance. You don't have to chug water to stay hydrated. Fruits and vegetables can also be a great source. Munch on some spinach or watermelon to stay hydrated. The best way to know if you're properly hydrated is the color and volume of your urine. If your urine isn't frequent and pale, yellow, or nearly clear, you need more water. So basically, eating a varied diet full of fruits, vegetables, healthy proteins, and fats, and whole grains is the best way to get enough of these six essential nutrients, plus the important category of phytonutrients, the beneficial chemicals in colorful plants that prevents disease, These micronutrients and macronutrients are vital for your body to function normally and stay healthy, so don't be stubborn. Stick some of these things in your body and keep your body happy and healthy. Because after all, this is Wellness Wednesday. We're going to talk about things that are going to make our body happy and healthy. So I think we will end it there. That's enough nutritional facts for the day. Got a little variety of different food things and oils and stuff like that for you to look into and take into consideration for your own diets and lifestyles. Don't do a diet. Do a lifestyle change. It doesn't make sense. Diets, we all fail. We do them. We last a while. We give up on them. Our body's like, oh, what? We're changing things again? It's like... (laughs) I mean, my body's going to be all over the place doing these a bunch of different 30-day different flushes. But we'll see. See how it goes. See what I decide. I'll keep you informed. But take care of yourself. Keep your body happy. Keep everybody around you happy. Keep yourself happy. Anybody around you negative, just push them away. Get rid of them. Don't need them in your life. They'll finally realize when they have no friends or family around them anymore that, hey, Maybe I should change my ways and then people will like me again. So you're doing them a favor by getting them out of your life and getting them to 
wake up and realize how big a jackasses they can be by telling others how to live and not helping themselves live their own healthy way. But yeah, kind of like I'm doing, telling you what to put in your system, but I'm just giving you concepts and ideas. I just, <laughs> you can do what you want with it. I'm not telling you you have to do it. I'm just telling you that these things might benefit you if you're having any issues. Always check with your doctor and your medical team. Let them know that you're doing changes and keep informed with them. It reminds me, I got to get a hold of mine and make sure I can come in and do jump on a scale next week and figure out what happened during this flush. But yeah, we'll get back to you soon. More than likely tomorrow. Be good. Take care. Have a week.